Hello there. Welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. And a call here with you alongside Alan Morrison and Jico James. How are you getting on, lads? All right, thank you. Doing well, thanks. So I am not doing so well. I was all excited to get over to see Glasgow Celtic last week and picked up more than I bargained for in Glasgow. So I am currently on day one of my isolation from uh, catching COVID over in Glasgow. So the match was great. The crack was brilliant. The aftermath I am suffering for. So if I if I cough or if I sound a bit muffled during this podcast, that is why. Well, I, I, um, I will... I will share an optimistic view, counter narrative to what I usually do, is it could have been worse. It could have been a venereal disease, which would have been much worse considering you were there with your girlfriend. That could have been a big problem. Yeah. Things you can catch in Glasgow is quite a long list, I'd have thought. <laughs> uh, listen, it happened to you as well, Alan, so I don't it know did. whether it's it uh, something to do so with this, same, something going around in the pubs in Glasgow. but the Same pubs, I think, yeah. And <laughs> uh, no, it was great to get over. In fairness, I uh, went over on Thursday morning. I did the tour of Celtic Park, something I hadn't done in a couple of years. It's a lot shorter than I expected. You know, we you, you see the boardroom, you see yeah. some of the trophies, and you see the dressing room, and then they take you out to the stadium. The trophy room, I thought, would be considerably bigger. I don't know if they have a, another trophy room in the stadium, but they kind of have them laid out historically so that they can guide you through the tour. And then went to Edinburgh on Friday and then the match on Saturday. And um, I missed Jack Macca's first goal. I was walking up the steps to my seat. I obviously, <laughs> I, uh, I visited a few too many pubs on the way to Parkhead. <laughs> um, I was getting my can of dragon soup and making sure I got in, into the stadium with it. And uh, Jack Macca's put the ball into the back of the net as I was sitting down on my seat. So you still have to describe that one to me. That's pretty late because, I mean, it was like the 11th minute. I mean... <laughs> So you weren't really making much effort to get to the game, were you? <laughs> you, you stopped the pee on the way in, didn't you? Oh, you'd already, you'd already, you had already cracked the seal, so you had to stop the pee before you came in to sit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. listen. So it was, um, it was a good win. It was a good performance. The red card probably killed off the game. I would say we would like do an analysis of this game, but it was four 0 against Ross County, and Celtic pretty much dominated from you know, that 11th minute goal onwards until the end of the... So I'm not sure what Celtic could have learned from that, really, or what anybody could learn from that. There's always learnings to be had. It generated as much data as every other game. Um, so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I know what you're saying. It's difficult. I mean, it, it almost after 30 minutes when it's 3-0 and when they're down to 10, then, yeah, it's the game's kind of it's academic. And then certainly when the fourth goal went in, they were pretty much defending narrow with nine players and just not looking to get absolutely hammered. And Celtic were just content to kind of pass it around. So yeah, you're you're right. It was it was at best it was a sixty minute game once the hat trick went in. Um, yeah, but in terms of you know learnings, I suppose, yeah, you're right. There wasn't a huge amount, but you know, Jackamacus, what's not what's not to love? I mean, you know that that I loved the way he timed his jump and run is running jump for that first goal that that was exquisite timing because it's quite unexpected to score a header from that kind of position really especially when they've got three you know big big center backs or three defenders all lined up along the the back as as many teams do so that 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 aspect uh, I thought was was uh, was really good I thought it was interesting to see a forward line of Maeda, Jakamakis and Jota on the right I thought that that's food for thought and 
looking at availability and state of fitness, you've got to think that's, at the moment, all things being equal, the candidate for starting the next game. So I think that aspect was interesting. Um, because what all three of them actually contributed a lot to the game in an attacking sense. Now you might think, well, of course they did because they were playing against 10 players, but um, there was a couple of pieces around um, just their expected scoring contributions and their overall attacking threat score that I calculate. Were, all of them were well into double figures, which has only happened about three times this season. So that it seemed that that, that front three was quite a coherent uh, front three. So that, I thought I thought that bit was was interesting. And then the bit I think you did with Ross on the uh, on Taylor's kind of more aggressive deep passing. I thought that was another interesting aspect that that was uh, worth considering as well. So a few a few snippets of interest. A few bits. I was actually, I wasn't at the game with a few of my friends, but a few of my friends who aren't actually Celtic fans were at this game as well. They just went over for the weekend. And I always find that interesting when you talk to someone who's not invested in the team for the the whole season, what they sort of uh, see on the pitch. And what I got from one of the the guys was uh, Jota is an absolute baller. Uh, Maeda doesn't stop running, but couldn't kick snow off a rope. And what <laughs> um, Matt O'Reilly was a, a you know above everyone else in ter- terms of his footballing ability. So that was the three outcomes that uh, my friend who, who hasn't watched Celtic all year has taken. So it, it was hmm. quite interesting to to get that point of view as well. Uh, James, any thoughts on the Ross County game before we move on to the the questions that we got people to send in? Yeah, the, the only uh, you know we have one. Uh, relative benchmark game for the season, which was the St. Mirren. Um, you know, kind of a parallel game, dominant home, kind of a bottom six type of team uh, that had an early red card. And, um, you know, to, to, to put it into perspective, how that first game could have been like a 10 nil kind of game. Um, you know, the, the, the XG output, particularly from open play in that game was double what we saw. Uh, this past weekend (laughs) so um you know these are the kind of games that are fun to watch um um but to to, i think the the consensus is i don't think there's a ton to take away from it when you have a team that's already kind of likely to be dominated good go a man down early it's you know shooting fish in a barrel to a degree um Mm -hmm. so probably wouldn't extrapolate it too far right so before the show earlier on today, we asked you on the Twitter account to send in a few questions. So obviously it's inter- international week, so we don't have a game to look forward to, or I well, we kind of just did our analysis of the game pass. So what we did was we asked you to send in a few questions. You sent them in and we'll tr- try to do our best to get to as many as we can before the end of the show. We'll start with uh, two questions that are quite similar, but we'll start with this one uh, that was sent in from Baz. He's asking for the best midfield combination for Ibrox. Not convinced that Hatate is in great form. Not convinced Beaton should be considered as an alternative. So midfield setup going into the game at Ibrox, it'll be very interesting. Obviously, Hatate had a, a whirlwind performance against uh, Rangers in the previous fixture. Hasn't hit the heights since that, you could argue. Um, maybe a little bit more settled now and might be even more settled into the team when it, once it gets this break and gets to uh, train under under Ange for a couple of weeks before this game. So, uh, Alan, do you want to kick us off the midfield combination for this game? Rogic potentially not available, so that means uh, that Turnbull, who is should be should be available for this game, could be an option to come in um, instead of him. So, what are you? What do we reckon here? Yeah. So I think 
the approach is going to be positive in the sense of I'm discounting the option that we're going to put in a defensive, a really defensive midfielder like a Bitton or a McCarthy. I just don't think, unless injuries intervene, I just don't think that's going to happen. You know, there's nothing that I've seen or heard in Postacoglu that suggests other than that we're going to go and try and win that game and play as aggressively and as attacking in an attacking manner as we can. So that's the first thing. So I'm immediately assuming that McGregor will play as the six. Okay, so that really leaves it as to who the, who will the two number eights be, um, and now that Hatati and O'Reilly are past the nine hundred minute mark, um, there is a little article coming out on Celtic by Numbers later today, uh, which looks at this very topic in a bit more detail than probably what we'll cover today. But yeah, I looked at basically the four players: Turnbull, Hatati, O'Reilly, and Rogic, because they're your four candidates, really realistically. For playing that that number eight position, but I think irrespective of if you looked at their merits or otherwise in isolation, I think there's some contextual things going on that we just need to be cognizant of. Like you said, we don't know if Rogic is going to be fit, so that's, that's the first thing. Turnbull hasn't played more than what what was it, 14 minutes against Ross County, so you've got to think it's unlikely that he's going to start at the game. Okay. Um, which means it's probably going to come down to a combination of Rogic, O'Reilly, and Hatati. Now we've seen that we we've seen that Rogic and, and O'Reilly could be problematic. Um, so actually, I I I think the the team that started against Ross County is what is would be the strong favourite to start that next game as well. And I think that was deliberate, you know, to to get that continuity. So for me. Postacoglu would start with Rogic and Tatati, all things being equal. Now, I'm not saying that's the mm-hmm. be- optimum or the best combination, but I think that's what he wants to do. If Rogic isn't fit, I think he'll put O'Reilly in. Now, as I say, this is all based on the current context of um, everyone's situation. If you, if you read the article later, I'll go into a lot more detail about the defensive capabilities of each of them, their pressing capabilities, their ball progression, their their creativity and their open, you know, their um, goal threat as well, and that, that's that's quite interesting in terms of what it shows. I mean, essentially, long story short, your pals are a judge, got very good judge of a player, right? Matt O'Reilly's yeah. um, contribution is just exceptional. The only the only area in which he actually lags quite badly behind is on goal scoring. He really hasn't shown a lot of, um, uh, you know, uh, goal threat basically in games. His, his xG is is pretty low. And obviously, his goal scored is, is pretty low as well. So, But if you look at his defensive, his pressing, his um, creativity, his ball progression, his, his creativity outside of set plays, which is where Turnbull excels, um, he would he'd be he would be actually leading on all those categories. So to me, he'd be the first name on the team sheet. But I think it'll be Rogic and Hattati that actually start the game. Yeah. Bar those few minutes against Ross County, I don't think Matt O'Reilly and Turnbull have played together, have they? No, Turnbull, Turnbull has been out since before they joined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's an interesting uh, thesis of what they could potentially uh, produce on the pitch. But you know, you know, straight away it, it doesn't scream out legs. So it, again, I'd probably agree with you, James. Would you go along with Alan? Yeah, I my preference would be O'Reilly over uh, Rogic. Um, just that little bit of uh, maybe a smidge more in athleticism. Um, I think, so if we look at, I mean, obviously that would be the same starting three from the last Derby. 
So McGregor at the six and Hatate and O'Reilly. Um, I think, you know, it's difficult to talk about this without uh, discussing what Rangers are po- possibly going to do. And I think we're going to be, see something very different from them. Um, so they played kind of their, this is, I, 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 I joked coming out of it that they, you know, kind of had done a Frankenstein um, uh, and, and they kind of had elements of the Gerard system, but half-assed it and it just all kind of came across pretty pathetic. Um, but so they're, I don't, we're not going to see the midfield that they played that day. Uh, they had Camara as a six and then he was, they were flanked by, I think it was a Rebo and Arfield maybe. I have to, mm-hmm. I have to check, but um, so there's no way that's happening. I, with who they have available, they've been playing four-two-three-one more so uh, against um, Red Star. They played uh, Kamara as a as a ten actually, um, with Jack and Lundstrom behind them. Uh, so I, I think we're going to see, and I you know minimally we're going to see four different starters for them than what we saw in the last derby, possibly five depending if Kamara plays. Um, so. I, I think it's going to be a completely different game, obviously, because it's also at, at Ibrooks. Um, so having said that, uh, I, I don't think we have a lot of great options given um, where Turnbull's in and his recovery, the risk now that maybe Rogic may not be 100% fit. So I, I think we're probably going to go with the obvious uh, with the, the big question whether or not Rogic is in in time for uh, for O'Reilly. And I think that's probably our best option at this point. Um, but that makes me a bit nervous. So, but go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we shall see. Uh, the next question comes in from GR, which is alongside this, uh, this question about Celtics starting to line up against Rangers. He asks, uh, after analyzing the previous derby, what will be the most decisive factors in our team's setup slash performance at Ibrox? which can get us a result. If Kyogo is fit, does he start ahead of Giacomacchus? I personally don't see Kyogo coming into the starting lineup ahead of Giacomacchus on form and on fitness. I know we saw we all got very excited when we saw pictures of Kyogo on the training ground, but if you notice where he is, he's very much in the background of the training ground. He's not with the first team. He's doing his own run, so God knows where his fitness is actually at. Um, and I think it would be incredibly unfair on Giacomacchus as well at this point, having scored a hat-trick last week and had, having been the main goal scorer for Celtic to, uh, to just drop him for the biggest game of the season. So uh, all that aside, uh, James, do you want to kick us off here in terms of the rest of the question? Yeah, well, I'll just touch on I mean, it, it, the, the likelihood that Kyogo is going to be uh, at a position where he could play, let's say, 60 minutes, I think is probably very low, low probability. Having said that, in a in a uh, alt- alternate universe where he was fully fit, I don't, you know, for, for me, it's not even a close decision. I think he would he would be the one that I'd want to start. Um, uh, and we can talk about that if, if you guys want. But um, I, I think the, the so again, I, I think uh, it's going to be a completely different game. The element of play that I think that they're going to try and, and um, push us on is I think they will press us more this game. I think they're going to be aggressive in um, trying to force our back five, you know, our, our, our defensive line and, and keeper um, to play out from the back. 
I think that's the obvious tactic for them. I was shocked that they didn't do it in the last matchup. Um, and that's where we're going to have to play well. We're, we're going to have to play uh, uh, well at playing out from the back and not having any kind of big mistakes. Um, and outside of that, it, it's going to be transitions like we've talked about all, all season. Um, at this level, with when t- teams that have the, sk- the combination of skill and athleticism, um, you know, there's going to be space that they're going to be able to potentially capitalize on. And, um, you know, we, we need to do a, a good job in that transition. The last thing I'll say, which to me might be the most important matchup in the whole game, is Hart versus McGregor. Um, I, I've become fascinated with analyzing McGregor because it, it's just a really interesting analytical situation uh, because even at his age, he's still been a very good shot stopper. Um, but he is one of the worst positional keepers in any league that he's competed in this season, whether that's champions league, Europa league, or at SPFL level. Um, so, you know, he can make these great saves, but then he can also be way out of position. Like we saw with Hatate's goal in the last Derby where he was off center and, you know, so he, he covers up from that or he has in past years because of his athleticism, being able to stop some shots even though he's in really bad uh, positioning hearts, very reliable from a positioning perspective. Um, and he hasn't been as good of a shot stopper. So it's that I, I would say, you know, we've got the steady Eddie on our side and we've got a huge wild card on their side. And, you know, that to me makes me nervous because if he has a big game and just lucky, I mean, again, if you think about this, even if it's 10 shots in the game, uh, if, you know, you have to have the, the attacking player, capitalize on the positional mistake of the keeper right and some of that you know is just complete randomness you know do you happen Mm -hmm. to shoot the ball in a position where he's off center (laughs) directionally um and you know in a a game that probably is only going to have i don't know eight to 12 shots maybe um if he has a hot day shot stopping and that variance kind of works against us that makes me nervous those are kind of the three areas that i think will be you know huge determinants as far as um the outcome of the game. Mm-hmm. Alan, there are a couple of positions here that probably are up in the air in terms of playing against Rangers. If if you think about the right back position, I mean, we did a, a comparison of Juranovic against, um, uh, Juranovic against, why is Ralston. his head? Uh, Ralston, sorry. Uh, Juranovic against Ralston, playing right back Ralston is more creative, but Juranovic is overall probably, you know, we've agreed that he's probably a better player than Ralston. A left back, Greg Taylor's very much cemented him there, but also you've seen Ange play Juranovic at left back for some of the bigger games, especially the European ones. Then up front, do you play Jota at the right with Maida on the left, or where where do we go with that? So, where do you think Ange is going to make some changes if he does make any changes, or do you see it very much uh, being similar to Ross County? Yeah, no, I'm I'm in, so trying to be a, an Ange reader. <laughs> So my Ange reading skills are developing all the time. I'm I'm convinced that the lineup against Ross County is his intended lineup. Now, as I say, the 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 unknown will be injuries picked up or whatever COVID or what have you uh, in the meantime. But all being said, I think it will be that lineup. Okay, and you know the the, the Kyogo. We're not going to take risks with keep shoving Kyogo, and actually we don't need to because Jack Amakis made his form at the moment is so good. 
and they're really starting to show the skills that they were bought for and they're they're fit into the team that it would actually you know be hugely demoralizing for them to not play in that game so i've got no worries about them playing and kyogo being on the bench would be a fantastic bonus as far as i'm concerned so i don't think that's much of a debate i'm i'm more with james i think the the conversation or the debate and the or the doubt and the uncertainty in this game isn't on our side i think we'll line up pretty predictably and we'll play pretty predictably uh, I think it's all we don't know what they're going to do. Um, you know, Van Bronckhurst is much more of a tinkerer. He's tried many different formations and different um, approaches to the game, and and then he's been largely successful. I mean, they've only lost that one game. I know they've well, they lost the the Red Star one. They've had some incredible <laughs> fortune in in some of the especially some of the European games. But they've you know they've, they've generally you know got got, got good results. Um, where they struggle, as we've said many times, is. The difference between counter-attacking in a European game and being able to play solid midfielders that are defensively strong like Jack and Lundstrom and, and Aribo, because Aribo's strengths are really uh, you know, physical and running with the ball as opposed to creative and scoring goals. Arfield's you know, similar. Um, the difference between that and being able to break down SPFL defences is, is, is where they've, they've struggled. Now, the, the, interest, the really fascinating thing about this game is that Celtic don't need to win it. <laughs> now, if you if you take that if you take that truth and apply it to the paradigm of professional football, 99% of professional football teams would go to Ibrox and be pretty stodgy and pretty difficult to break down. But we know that Ange won't do that. We know that Postacog we will 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 think that the best way to 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 get ahead in the title race and um and to, and to be successful is going to be to attack and try and win the game. Okay, now my concern, slight concern, is that that actually plays into their strengths because they they they're actually be- they're better with teams coming onto them like that than than if they were forced to kind of try and break us down. Um, so I'm kind of caught here in my head of you know Postecoglou being true to his principles and rightly so, and going there and actually what a statement it would be to go there to attack them, to beat them at Ibrox and really you know, bring home the league in style versus. Actually, that's probably the tactically the wrong thing to do against this particular mm-hmm. team because that their strength is going to be sitting in and then and then breaking. You know, so that 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 I think is going to be the fascinating thing and what configuration they put together in midfield uh, will be fascinating as well. But ultimately, they have to win the game. But even if they do, it it, it doesn't change too much. Um, the you know the position we're still will still be ahead. Uh, pretty much run goal difference at least, so that that's an advantage given the fixtures that have to come. Yeah, I I said this as well. And I I agree with you. Uh, Celtic don't need to win this game; they just need to not lose it essentially because they're in the position of power in the title race. And I I do agree with you in the sense that Ange will go out to try and win this game, but I think behind it all, he'll say we'll get a point. You, know, you might you might not see the full yeah you might not see the fullbacks right up the pitch all the time right yeah, you might see yeah. a little bit of conservatism there in that regard. You uh, yeah, see, I think you it'll might, be you might see a lot more um, you know direct passing as well. Yeah, it'll it'll be uh, it'll be go for the win, but if we get a draw, I mean it's not the end of the world. Um, <laughs> ne- next question, and this is one that we sort of touched on months ago, and it was very early days for the man in the question. So Return of the Mac asks, any updates slash change to the analysis on whether to pay the $6 million for Jota now that we have almost a full season of data on him in terms of system fit mainly? So 
uh, return of the Mac with that question. The, I can't remember the when we actually fielded this question, but it was very early on into Jota's, um, Jota's career at Celtic. And James, I remember you had some slight reservations um, about him at the time just because of the, the price tag and the type of player he was and because it was, again, very early on. I'm not even sure if we had the 900 minutes of data on him at the time. And I put the title of the YouTube with something along the lines of, uh, is Jota worth the risk? And there must have been at least 20 comments underneath the, the video saying, what risk? So um, yeah. is there a risk of signing Jota for six million? Financially, no. I would think that risk is extremely low. I mean, and that I think is we, t- I, I think we even talked about it at the time. I think the worst case financially would be that you flip them like, you know, a la Jack Henry, what then did to us with, with Jack Henry. I mean, and that I think there's a f- pretty high confidence level that his market value uh, is worth more than whatever option that we have, assuming that that's six million. Um, my uh, view hasn't really changed analytically relative to because, I, again, I, I think about this from the sense of how do we optimize relative to the manager's style of play to compete in a group stage in the champions league. Right. And that's where, um, I have, I continue to have concerns about Jota relative to, um, you know, what he offers from a pressing and a defensive perspective. Um, I mean, ideally in a, in a, in an ideal world, you'd have his attacking and ball carrying skills um, and his creative skills along with that. So basically, you know, like a hybrid between him and let's call it Kyogo. Because again, I Maeda is such a freak in a good way relative to those attributes that it's unrealistic to think there's going to be too many guys that are like him. Um, but I, I more so a high functioning uh, pressing and defensive player in that role that also has that kind of creative and and um and, and ball progression <laughs> opportunity. How much, how much is that going to cost? Well, <laughs> right. So that so that so this is the this is the bigger question and the bigger issue. Um, the, I I think that there is a huge reorientation that has to take place at Celtic as to what is defined as quote unquote young. And I've talked about this at the past. If you look at the demographics of the players starting at Ajax at Salzburg, teams that are, you know, our benchmark, our bogeys, what are we trying to get to aspirationally where we can compete deep into the Europa League and or uh, at the Champions League group stage level is you need to be finding those players when they're 17, 18 and play them at that level when they're 19, 20, 21. Um, And then you sell them on at the age that we're going to be buying Jota, theoretically. Right. So that the whole curve has to be adjusted down in the business model uh, if we're going to pipe ourselves in uh, to compete at that level. And and this is one of the, you know, one of the concerns I have. And really, there's only one player that fits that hypothetically that we've acquired in the last two windows, and that's Abada. Um, So, you know, I, I, um, I'd rather, you know, theoretically, and I, I doubt this is going to happen. I think the big variable is whether he wants to come. Uh, that'll probably end up being the big one. And, and whether or not we qualify for the Champions League might be the, the main variant on, very, uh, variable on that. But, you know, I, I'd rather take uh, the $6 million 
turn around and flip him for, I don't know, 10 or 12 million and then buy two versions of him that are 18, right? And, and pay four or 5 million for that quality and level of player that's going to be optimized for Angie's system. I think that's the, you know, how you build a pathway over time um, to, to, to optimize the, the roster to be able to play uh, at, at the level that we want to. And again, none of this has any, am I, am I going to be upset if we sign a Jota? Of course not. Uh, it's, a, it's a question of optimization. Um, and in order to compete at that level with the resources that we have, you have to do optimization, you, you know, getting away with spending some of your biggest transfer bucks on things that aren't optimized, I think is not a successful formula to compete, you know, kind of punch above our weight kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. so, well, here, here's a question that is coming from me rather than Twitter. And that is, uh, does Ben Doak not suit what you're sort of aiming at there. We have a, a player in our academy that clearly, you know, Liverpool do not go out and buy teenagers for no reason. So they haven't bought him yet. They, they haven't bought him yet, but they're they if they if they're going to buy if if somebody's going to buy him, it looks like it's going to be Liverpool. He seem look Liverpool play a similar brand to what Ange Postecoglou plays with high pressing and and forwards with good pace but good creativity as well. So, I mean, would it be silly to let him go for? Will what well, Celtic will let him go for? Because let's face it, we're underselling our products in Scotland for so many years now that it's it's impractical for us to think that we're going to get fifteen million for Ben Doak right now. Well, and so this comes back to um, all the things that Ange can't fix as one person. Uh, so it's putting together the organizational structure. You know the 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 fact that. Look at how we've put our players out on loan in the last few years. How productive have our loan spells been for players? I mean, you can always pick out the one or two that worked out okay, like McGregor, like Iyer. But generally speaking, the vast number of players that we've acquired, put out on loan, how many of them? What's our hit rate, so to speak? What's our and how much? How much is, have, has that been? Players that have gone out to teams that are going to play in a style that's consistent with the club assuming that the club had a consistent style, which we didn't, <laughs> right? So you see the coherence there has been lacking. Um, so if you think about the players like Morrison that we lost to Bayern Munich, if we lose Doak to Liverpool, I mean, you're, you're talking about a completely different planet as far as organizational quality. And you can imagine these players going in to those environments and being sold on what their opportunity is going to those clubs and it's the difference between going to a Lamborghini dealer and going to, you know, a Toyota dealer. It's just a different level. And that's, we, we need to improve those types of things in order to be, to offer, you know, right now, basically the thing I'm guessing they're probably going to throw at them is, you know, next year you'll start playing on the first team uh, mm-hmm. and, and get that potential access to compete at, at a first team level. But again, that's one guy you're trying, you know, this is not an organizational thing. And, and, and for us to be able to systematize this, even when Ange is gone eventually, because uh, he'd probably play a huge role in if we somehow keep him. Um, again, it's got to be built so that we have a pathway for these people, a development system that's more competitive. And for everything I've read and heard and um, 
not not only about the players that we have lost, which has been the vast majority of our top uh, young prospects in the last four or five years. Um, you know, again, we're just not competing relative to the the clubs that we're supposedly in in the echelon with. Mm-hmm. A lot of this has me circulating about Angie's interview with the Optus Sport. I'm not sure if you have uh, heard the whole thing, but there's a lot about systems and about the hierarchy and things out of his control when he was at Australia and how much that broke his heart. So it uh, be interesting to see what happens in the future with, with Celtic if this does continue. Uh, Alan, do you want to finish off with the, the Jota question before we move on? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think... Listen, you, you, can't, you can't have a team of Jotas and, and neither can you have a team of Maedas, right? You, a team takes all sorts, right? So I thought it was really interesting, the, the lineup, as I mentioned earlier, against Ross County with Jota and Maeda and Giacomacus as a front three, because to me that was a really nice mix of, of pressing ability, of creativity and of goal threat. You had two players that were constantly looking to get in behind or constantly available for either near post or back post runs. Uh, you, you, have a, you have an extreme volume creator in, in Jota. Um, uh, you know, as it's supplemented by two number eights. It just, it just, I thought it was a really nice balance and maybe a glimpse into how someone like Jota could be accommodated while still having quite aggressive pressing forwards as well, right? So, um, you know, a couple, a couple of things just looking at Jota's numbers is Jota's score, overall scoring, expected scoring contribution and actual scoring contribution are, are, are on the same level as peak James Forrest. And- Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. And Jota's twenty-two, and Pete James Forrest were looking at the sort of nineteen twenty season when he was twenty-eight. Okay, and and so <laughs> that's good, right? Um, Actually, Abada's numbers are slightly better. <laughs> and to, J- to James's point, so people people massively undervalue Abada's performance this season. I mean, yes, he's got a lot of rough edges, and no, he doesn't look as good as Jota does in terms of um, looks and hair. But in also, quite a literal just, sense. <laughs> but just, yeah, just in terms of his style, and but also his involvement. I mean, Abada's a player who gets involved in moments throughout a game, whereas Jota tends to be constantly involved in the game and that catches people's eye. But actually, Abada's scoring contribution and expected scoring contribution are just a fraction above Jota's. So um, that's that's fascinating as well. But also, what great recruitment to get both of them in the same season. Um, um, so what does that all mean? 
I mean, I, I, to me, it's, it would, it, you know, it, even at 22, I mean, you're, you're, we're almost going back six years in terms of when you, the, the model that you were looking for, which as James rightly said, these days have gone now, was you were looking for the 21, 22-year-old that had got around about 70, 80 games under the belt for a team that probably wasn't that glamorous in a league that maybe wasn't a top five league. I'm, I'm thinking of Virgil van Dijk here in my head, or a, or a Wanyama, yeah, and, and then you pluck them out of those leagues for for a small amount, relatively small amount of money, a few million, and then you know they be, in three or four years uh, they become great players. I still think for a club like Celtic, there is there is a market for that, although it's diminishing. And the reason I say that is that um, you know even Jota, as good as he is today, isn't going to go for thirty million and play for Chelsea's first team. They're just not going to. They're just not going to pay. They're not going to play him. He's, he's still too young. Still got, still got, you know, development to do. They'll, they'll still pay that for a twenty-seven-year-old. So I still think Celtic have got room to grow a few players that are in their early twenties. I do take James's point, and I do agree with it. But I think it's a that whole issue of what you do with teenagers is a much wider debate beyond Celtic's ability. There's no pathway in Scotland. That's the problem. That's not. Mm-hmm. That's not. That's not a Celtic issue. That's a Scottish football issue. It's not a culture of Celtic um, issue. It's a it's a whole culture of Scottish football issue and the structure of it. it's a much bigger conversation. So you're always going to have this issue with teenagers because Ben Doak's not going to go to Liverpool and get anywhere near the first team. He's going to be in development squads at best for years potentially. He may never get into the first team. So, but he's but, but Liverpool still might be more attractive mainly because of the money. I suspect. Though that's just the sad reality of it. But I can't, I won't blame Celtic for that. It's either Lowland League or you go out on loan. To Airdrie or Air United or something—that's that's the that's literally the choice, right? That's that's how, that's not much of a development pathway, and that's the big issue. So Jota is a yes for me, um, and Ben Ben Doak is is part of a much wider structural issue with Scottish football. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 on that point of the the structure of even just worldwide football in general, the ownership models are getting so difficult to compete against that. You know, Man City own the same owners own six clubs around the world. I mean, not only does that give them, you know, fields of just taking players wherever they want, they also have pathways for players who, if you're not making it in Man City, you might make it in, you know, New York City, or you might make it in, I can't remember where in Spain they have the team, but they have a team in Spain, they've got a team in Melbourne, they've got teams in Asia. You know, they can send players to these teams to develop in the same brand and the same model that, James, you're sort of alluding to there. It's like they control everything. But, you know, Celtic owners aren't going to go out and buy a club somewhere in Spain, you know. They just they just they just can't. So, um yeah, true, it's a wider true, discussion. True, but aren't aren't we lucky that uh, Ange is quite well connected with that organization? Mm, yeah. So I mean, that is that's a bigger conversation than than Celtic is. So we'll, we'll move on to uh, a Celtic only one, and this this one comes in from uh, Peter Lacey, who asks, uh, "Are we getting better at defending set pieces?" So this is a big Celtic discussion over the last since I've been a Celtic fan. Except for maybe the Martin O'Neill period, although I can't remember whether we were any good at that point or not in defending set pieces. I'm imagining with Majalbi and and uh, Baldi, then we were pretty decent at defending set pieces. Baharin. Yeah, Larson, with that Son, item, I'm, I'm, yeah, <laughs> just a bit. <laughs> if, with with you know, just putting common sense together, I'm imagining they were they were pretty good at set pieces. But um, since I've been supporting Celtic, the years that I remember, 
Celtic have always been the better side on the pitch, but absolutely terrible and extremely vulnerable from set pieces, and especially last year. So have Celtic improved on defending set pieces over the last number of months? Uh, it depends on the definition of is. <laughs> to quote former President Bill Clinton. Um, so I, I'll read off the number of set-piece goals that we've conceded uh, since 1819. So in 1819, we only conceded four. Okay, so obviously that's a very this low number. in the number. league, though, right? Yes, just league. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, 1920, obviously in just 30 games, we conceded eight, and that was with... Um, Iyer and Julian as the primary center backs, obviously not lacking in size in that regard. Um, in the debacle of last season, we conceded 12. <laughs> uh, and this season so far, we're already at 10. Now, having said that, uh, from an XG perspective, just from set play, um, we're much better this season. Uh, about 15% better than we were last season. So we're still not as good as we were in uh, 1819 or, or Um And I, I, I keep coming back to, I think this is a, an area where keeper play that isn't shot stopping is a big variable. Um, and that's, if you, you know, again, the, that 1920 team, uh, we conceded twice as much goals relative to XG on set plays. And Fraser Forster was not known for coming off his line, right? And as great as a shot stopper as he has been and is, um, you know, his mobility in, in coming out was was not great. Um, and, you know, we're kind of seeing that again this season where uh, Hart, that's a, an aspect of Hart's game that's not his strength. Um, so I, I think organizationally we are far better I meaning that i think that the i think we're optimizing with the personnel that we have to a very high degree I mean, and that's about as much as our coaching staff can control and i think that's a disparity from last season where it was we were not optimizing anything everything was a mess last season um so i think that's positive but as we've talked about pretty regularly on on the show this season is there's some aspects that are just kind of inherent part of that's heart part of it's our kind of roster profile with not a whole lot of height um across the board not just at center back and um so you know i i think we're doing a better job with what we have and is the other thing to think about is you know we don't concede a lot of goals generally um, so by definition, set plays are always going to be the area domestically that a lot of teams are going to hurt us. Um, so, you know, that sets up a cognitive bias thing. You know, you're, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we, we're almost always going to have that as an, the issue, so to speak, um, domestically. It's somewhere that the opposition are going to be, you know, working on as well coming up to the game that's the position that they could hurt us so naturally they're improving on that I, I i hate comparing us to premier league clubs and what they're capable of doing and the people they're capable of recruiting but if you take arsenal for example this season they recruited a uh, nicholas jover from manchester city he came over with uh, michael arteta and arsenal have conceded the least amount of goals from set pieces since bringing this guy over he's a set piece coach for them um, if you look at their uh, set pieces 
conceded this year. They've conceded two, and that only accounts for 15% of their goals scored. Uh, they've scored six, and that's 46% of their uh, total goals this season. So that's a little bit out of date. I think that's a, a few weeks old, but that's the difference that a specialized coach in this position can make here on is is that somewhere where you can see Celtic potentially improving on in the next couple of years under Ange bringing in more specialized coaches to you know improve Celtic where they do need to improve because it is these sort of small percentages where you if you improve this it might have a, a big impact on like European games for example yeah I, th- I think I think that's right I think there's a lot going on here um, that isn't to do with actual Defending set pieces. I'll try and explain that. For a start, as James said, it's actually quite low volume because Celtic don't concede a lot of goals and don't concede that many set plays. Um, what is also true to your point, and uh, is that I would agree that organisation is more important than having, let's say, three players that are six foot six. So even even O'Neill's team um, wouldn't necessarily have had a low uh, low level of a good goal concession to set plays if they hadn't been well organised. And it's that organisation that, that, that is key. And we only had to see that last season when we had the likes of Duffy and Julien in the team and conceded over, over all competitions, conceded 19 goals from set plays. Um, now we're already up to 16 this season. But the second point I want to make is the, again, I come back to, and this is part of the reason why I do Celtic by numbers is this um, difference between perception and reality. Okay. And, and, and this is where expected goals is so important as a concept to get, to get your head around because if I've, I've got, so I've got five years worth of data on set piece chance creation for Celtic covering all competitions. Okay. So it's not just league games now. So if you go back to 1718 and 1819 under Rogers, um, in both those seasons, our expected expected goals against from set plays was just a tad under 11. It was consistent in both seasons. And actual goals conceded was eight in one season and six in the other. So what's the reason for that difference? Luck, you know, maybe a great save from the goalkeeper here and there, a bad miss from the other, you know, an opposition player. These are low volume, right, relatively speaking. But, but there would have been a perception that Oh, we were better at set piece, you know, defence under Rogers because blah blah blah. Look at those, look at those numbers. Especially when they jump up to eleven conceded in nineteen twenty, nineteen in twenty twenty one, and already sixteen this season. But if you look at expected goals against, yeah, it actually went down in nineteen twenty from eleven down to nine. But we conceded more than we expected. So what was that down to? Bad luck. Great, you know, maybe the keeper screwed one or two up. Maybe the some great headers in there that, you know, we couldn't save, or maybe somebody smacked in some direct free kicks, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and this season, there's a discrepancy of seven, of, of well, six actually, between expected goals against, which is about 10, and actual goals conceded, which is 16. So people's perception is, oh, we're really bad at it because we're conceding goals. But our expected goals is broadly in line with what it has been over the last five seasons. So, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> What, what, so what I, what I looked at as well is to answer the question even more directly is how are we doing this season? Are we improving under Postecoglou? Because he can only impact what's what's happening on the pitch. And actually, if you look at that picture, I looked at all of the expected goals from set plays across each match over the season and just looked at how it's trending. And the good news is it is trending slightly down, as in it looks like our XG against from set plays is 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 going down. The, it, it, there were a few spikes in that, 
yeah, Livingston away will always cause your data to spike <laughs> in that regard. Um, but generally, I think I would say, in, and not surprisingly, in line with the overall um, improvement in Celtic's cohesion, structure, shape, defensive alignment, and, and people knowing their jobs and doing their jobs, um, we, we can see that the team's improving. And unset pieces mm-hmm. is another facet of that. But I think the narrative around the general number of goals conceded uh, is, is gets skewed quite quite a lot based on the disparity between expected and actual goals. Uh, but last season and last season was an outlier because of not only the fact that we concede more than we should have done, um, we were clearly poorly organised, and that probably contributed to that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's sixteen goals in total from set pieces in all comp- competitions this, this season. Yeah, and do you know the percentage of what that is for our total goals conceded? It's sixteen out of how many goals we conceded? It's about forty-five, I think, um, yeah, something like that. So it's probably about a third. Yeah, probably okay. about a third. Yeah, roughly. Well, I, so I, I just looked up while you were speaking, Alan. So John Harrison. Um, who's probably the keeper guru out there, at least in the public sphere. Uh, he's J.H.D. Harrison one is his Twitter handle. So he's a veritable treasure trove of uh, information if you have any interest in, in keeper analysis. Uh, so you, you mentioned Ramsdale. Well, you didn't mention Ramsdale, but you, you mentioned Arsenal. So Arsenal. I, I, yeah. yeah, so I, I looked him up real quick. And uh, according to John's kind of proprietary data collection and model, which I think he does it all for the Premier League. Uh, just from cross-claiming, Ramsdale has prevented 0.31 expected goals per game. Ooh, that's a lot. That's exactly. He's a, twi- he's a 23-year-old keeper who is coming Twice out. relegated, by the way. Uh, well... Uh, don't get me started on that. Like no, no, I know, I knew. Yeah, what I'm saying is, that, like <laughs> he, he, he's someone, he's someone who was widely criticised as a, you know, a bizarre signing for Arsenal at the time. But like you're saying, he, he's made an incredible impact for them. But but so this goes back to the totality of keeper play, uh, while where you could have someone who's an average shot stopper, which it looks like. Now again, that that was as of around Christmas time, so that's the the most recent I found, and that's for this season. Mm-hmm. But it gives you an idea of the proportionality of someone who has an a let's call it a really good skill set in a phase of play that hasn't traditionally captured through data. Um, that is obviously a huge component in defending set pieces, right? And how you know why did Fraser why did Celtic with a really good traditional keeper in Fraser Forster and a traditional keeper in Joe Hart. Why has crosses, aerial balls, set pieces, corners been where we are conceding a fairly higher degree of goals relative to XG? Um, I would argue that's probably part of it. The part of the calculation yeah. here is, is, you know, keepers that don't kind of patrol that area, uh, I'll use my American football analogy, like a free safety, right? Someone who any a ball hawk, any anything that comes within, let's call it 10, 15 yards of your your semicircle um, to get it claimed. And and so that I, I I I assume that was probably the case when you said that what was going on with Arsenal is it yeah. my guess is that they have a keeper that's you know patrolling that area like a like a free safety, and mm. you know we do not have that. I think it comes down to a larger conversation. We we sort of had this conversation a couple of weeks ago about positionings and what they actually mean and how, you know, positions don't really 
mean anything if you're a center midfield that you know that doesn't really hold water anymore because of the way the systems work and the way that goalkeepers are developing is probably the biggest thing that's going to impact football in the next couple of years we already saw the first wave of that with Ederson and these ball playing uh, goalkeepers what is a goalkeeper he's a defender first and foremost he is a defender he's not he's, everyone looks at it as a separate position to everything else but he's he is a defender because he's trying to stop the ball going into the net in Gaelic football in Ireland now this is a completely this is completely off topic but we're seeing a development in what the goalkeeper is doing so traditionally in Gaelic football the goalkeeper would be a goalkeeper. He stays in his own net. He receives the ball every couple of minutes and uh, he kicks the ball out for goal kicks. But what we're seeing now is the goalkeeper has become a completely free roaming player. Um, now, it's obviously different in Gaelic football because anybody can catch the ball. So the defenders can go into the net and catch the ball if they want to. But suddenly people are realizing we have this six, we have this 15th man that has not been utilized whatsoever. And if we stick him into the midfield for... You know, while we have possession, there's an extra person to pass the ball to. So we have an overlap. Um, so I just think there's going to be some changes within the goalkeeping ethos and what happens in the next couple of years, which will be uh, hugely interesting to keep an eye on. No, I think uh, you're right. But, yeah, uh, I, 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 so just, yeah. Just, to, just, just to back up what uh, John, uh, uh, sorry, uh, James said earlier was that you need to get get on to John Harrison. One of the things that he he, stu- he studies and, and, and actually documents brilliantly on his Twitter three tweet yeah. to, to feet is a goalkeeper's ability uh, in one to one on one situations is 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 a bit like xg for a striker it's it's a it's a it's an art that's never been captured before but actually could be the most important because if you if you if you look at any football coverage in this country as you know and uh, with your love of the english premier league the um, sky sports are still all they can all they can think to do is 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 a safe percentage which is just literally the most useless. No, it's not useless, but it's 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 completely inaccurate in terms of judging a goalkeeper's ability. It tells you nothing about the ability of the goalkeeper. Um, so, almost capturing a metric that says to what extent you 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 adopted the right strategy in dealing with a one to one, and actually that might not even result in a save. <laughs> it might result in a shot being blasted wide. So, how do you capture that? Right. So you've prevented something. It's a bit like at the art of good defending. So there's a huge huge gap in the market. For good quality goalkeeper metrics to be derived, and I'll be I'll be thinking about that when I when I start uh, mm-hmm. start thinking about next season. Yeah, don't get me started on the punditry in English football. I mean, we're still at the point now where we have Rio Ferdinand and Owen Hargreaves arguing that United need more quote unquote football men at the club to improve. It. I mean, <laughs> Paul Scholes, uh, bless him. That's, <laughs> let's get Roy, let's get Roy Keane in there. See if he can fix things. Um, no, right. We have spent a lot of time on that. Let's move on to the last couple of questions because the clock's kind of coming against us here. Uh, question from Ross from Boys Analytics. Three most important positions that re- require an update. Um, I think that sort of comes into the goalkeeping conversation. I think goalkeeper, as good as Joe Hart has been, we do need to, you know, he's not getting any younger. We do need to improve the goalkeeping situation, maybe a more progressive one in terms of, like we're saying, claiming the ball, playing out from the back. These things that we highlighted when Joe Hart was signed, but Joe Hart has been a brilliant signing. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm going to go left back as well. Needs to be improved, and probably another midfielder. So that's the three that I'm going to go for. I'll go uh, keeper, ball playing, uh, center back, and a stud box the box box uh, midfielder. 
When you, when you say stud, do you mean stud in the sense of a uh, Matt O'Reilly is stud to look at, or do you mean <laughs> no, no? I'm I'm talking uh, elite level athleticism, meaning that lightning speed, size, you know, kind of a European level size, um, but also has you know the uh, a, a level of technical proficiency, meaning that I I'd, I'd almost rather wait that athletic piece, that battering ram piece, a, a little bit more important uh, if they're not the top level of, of mm. uh, technical skill. Cause again, back to Alan's point relative to Jota is that, you know, you can, it's how these pieces fit together. And I, I don't think whether it's a Tate, whether it's O'Reilly, um, whether it's Turnbull, whether it's Rogic, we've got the skill and the creativity part of this puzzle in midfield pretty much covered to, to almost excess. Uh, what we don't have is that kind of elite box, the box guy who's going to go in there and just, you know, be a battering ram. And I don't mean that in a, in a fouling perspective. I just mean that pure athleticism to create chaos in, in midfield, whether it's like a, 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 a Wanyama type. I, cl- yeah. Closer to a Wanyama. Yeah. Um, uh, although I don't think he was quite used the same way as as uh, I would envision it in in, in Angie's system, but um, so that 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 would be th- those would be the three for me. Alan, yeah, yeah, no, I can't disagree uh, or, or be just for the sake of controversy, really. I mean, uh, you know, uh, a left back that has got the his speed, technical ability, and athleticism of Juranovic on the right would be an absolute must for me. A centre back that is very similar in ability to to Carter Vickers, uh, to come, you know, would be a, a, an absolute must as well. Um, and I agree, you know, we need we've got a lot of creativity in in, in the eight position. We don't have enough um, uh, speed and athleticism. I completely agree with that. The only other one that you'd throw in is if you know if Jota doesn't sign, then definitely on the right wing we need we need somebody uh, there as well. So yeah, I think I think I think, and I think that it's nice. It's actually good that we can all agree on that. It suggests that if we'd asked this question at this time last season, we'd be going, "Well, well what do you mean three? We need 14. You know, it's like I mean, yeah. the nightmare conversation. But the fact is that we're actually already two windows in. We're settling in on some quite and quite some quite specific and a unified view of what those areas are. I think is is really good news actually. And honestly, I think if you ask, uh, you know, ten. Celtic fans, what position Celtic need to improve on? Nine out of ten would probably give you those positions as well. I don't think it's, it's, it's a blatantly obvious one, but I mean, yeah, give us if if, if if yeah, if we if we want to sign a, a Virgil Van Dijk at centre back, then you know, go go for it. I'm happy to go for that as well. Um, finish off with this one, uh, Alan. I know you like this one. Statistically, <laughs> is McGregor better with or without the mask? So we're getting close enough to the point where we have enough data for this. So, um, do you have up. the data, to, uh, <laughs> McGregor pre-mask versus McGregor post-mask? Go on, James, you go first. Well, I, I'll, have some, <laughs> I'll have a look at some. I'll have a see if I can actually I have a go at empirically answering that question. <laughs> yeah, what, what, what I can say uh, while Alan's doing that, uh, I don't have his data specifically with that uh, demarcation, but um, generally speaking, the team over those periods, um, and this is part of my growing nervousness as we head into uh, next week's game and, and really the huge games coming up next month, is... Um, 
you know, we've been talking a lot the last few weeks about how we've finally had some positive variants starting to blow our direction, which has been a welcome development. And uh, as we say, long may it continue. Um, but it has been, um, I will call it masking a little bit of some concerning trends and some of the underlying uh, data that, that I monitor. Um, so, you know, uh, I'm not going to blame the mask and I'm sure as heck I'm not going to blame McGregor about that. I, I think there's a lot more going on. Um, but I thought I'd mention that because again, I, I, I think getting some of these guys back and particularly Kyogo to me, I wrote an article about that today that published today. Um, I think he may end up being, uh, you know, one of the things that could swing the, the title race in our direction, hopefully. Um, and I think we might need him to, uh, that's my my concern. But go ahead. Yeah, I th I think that's a good point. Um, like, obviously, you'd prefer if Kyogo didn't get injured at all. But if you're going to have him for back for a certain period of the season, you want him back for let's let's just presume that Celtic come out with at least a draw next week against Rangers. You want Kyogo for this post split. That's where you want him being back to fitness. If he was out for these the final six games, you'd be worried enough. But I mean, that's got to be some boost, doesn't it? For the dressing room as well to have the the best player, let's face it, the best player in the, in the team coming back for those final six games. Yeah, and that's, you know, if, he, if he's not uh, ready to go for next week, then we've got St. Johnston at home, I think, after that, which should not be a game where his inclusion would be make or break, uh, hopefully anyway. <laughs> Um, so that, that means we're out another three weeks really for, to get him up so that he's ready and, re you know, fully firing for the, the post split. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, the cup tie game, the semifinal that's coming up. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think that's going to be really important. I'm sorry. Did Alan, you find ahead. any data on uh, McGregor mass versus unmasked? Alan? So, so actually, quite fascinating. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and so Martin's asked a great question here. I know it was tongue in cheek, but so this is really rough and ready, and there's some flaws in the data in the sense that I've not taken into account minutes played. But really, it's, it's a bit. It's for a bit of fun, right? So, defensive action success rate, right? So pre cheekbone smash, uh, he, he, was, <laughs> he was averaging fifty four percent defensive action success rate now the man in the mask is averaging 64 percent defensive action success rate he should be wearing a black mask he is the dark knight with that mask on right let's look at let's look at his um his his percentage of passes that are pack passes has actually gone down from 19 percent to 14 percent. so he's, he's a bit more of a destroyer than what he was before with that mask on and then we'll finally let's look at look at expected goals and expected assists our old favorite let's see what's happened to them since he's uh, since he's had the mask on, uh, just very quickly find the right place. So pre pre facial um, reorganization, it was uh, about, yeah about point six point one six expected assists per game, and that's now gone uh, down to point one two. And expected goals pre mask was point one two, and then post mask. It's jumped up to point two one, so we're, we're so we're seeing we're seeing a destroyer here emerge from that mask. Long may the mask continue. I say he's harder in defence. He's getting more shots away. Brilliant. <laughs> That's a try. He got got a couple of goals with the mask as well. So 
you're seeing the results of it. Hmm. That is all of our questions. We got not quite under the hour, but just over the hour, so not too bad. Um, if you want to ask us any more questions, feel free to send them in to uh, us on Twitter at Huddle Breakdown, and we'll try to get back to them um, whenever we can. Uh, James Allen, anything else you just want to cover before we finish up? Nope. I think I think we're good. Yep. <laughs> preview, pre- big preview show next week. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we obviously did quite a bit of the uh, Rangers game uh, in this podcast, but we will do a more focused one on the game itself next week because uh, obviously we have another week of international football. What a weekend, by the way. Can I just say, what a weekend to get COVID. The first weekend of international football of the year, and there's no sport on except for <laughs> F1. And oh, I'm sitting here in my house. I can't go anywhere. I mean, God Almighty! And the weather's turning yeah. nice as well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, heatwave, heatwave in Ireland. International weekend. No Celtic matches on. And yeah, I'm the, rug, the, rugby, the rugby's finished now as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> time, well, to become, I, I time to become a U.S. college basketball fan. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right, lads. Uh, thanks for that. Take Thank care. you. All right. We'll chat to you next week. Good luck. <laughs>